Right, great. So, uh, you know what? Uh, it's amazing how relaxed you feel when you're about to preach, knowing that there isn't some kind of massive, vulnerable ending like there was last time I preached. The last two times I preached here, I preached on heaven and hell. That was harrowing for everybody involved. <laughs> and then you remember last time, see, we're filming it because there's no massive confession coming up at the end. So I just feel so relaxed. I feel happy to be preaching on, on Matthew. Uh, and um, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. Freedom. <laughs> Second Corinthians. Well done. So uh, I'll read from Matthew. Matthew 24. But we're just using it as a stepping off point, really, because um, it's a bit of a weird passage. So, Matthew 24, the destruction of the temple and the signs of the end times. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting later on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, it's a passage, uh, scholars are split over what this passage is about. Some scholars think that Jesus is just talking about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem that happened in AD 70. So 40 years after he's saying these things, the temple was ransacked, it was destroyed, and not one stone was left on another. Uh, other scholars think that actually what Jesus is mainly talking about is the end of the world, is the end times. Scholars are split, I don't really mind, no one in here really cares. What we are interested in is the secondary meaning. The secondary meaning. What is the God of the Bible saying to us through this passage? So, I'll kind of sketch out the skeleton. What Jesus is, and then I'll talk about why we can take a secondary meaning, why, why we can trust it. Because the Word of God is living and active. It's alive. It's not just an inspirational old book. If it is, like, I've got other things to do, to be honest. If I can't meet the creator of the universe through reading this, if I can't have a relationship with God, an actual relationship, if I can't know him through the pages of this book, I'm not really bothered, to be honest. I'd rather read the Iliad. It's got, it's got mermaids in it or something. I, I haven't read it. So, the, um, the skeleton is, is this. Um, the title of the talk is called It's All About Stones, by the way. The title of this talk is All About Stones. This is Palm Sunday, a day on which Jesus said that even if everyone was silent, the stones would cry out to him. The stones would praise him. And then next week on Easter Sunday, we'll celebrate the rolling away of a stone. It's all about stone. And Jesus is talking about not one stone being left on another. So the question is, what are you building? What are you building? Whose kingdom are you building? What legacy are you leaving? 
That's why I've got Jenga here. I probably won't have time to use it, but we'll see. See if we get time. Stones. So the skeleton of the passage is, Jesus is essentially saying, if you don't have him as your foundation, it will be a waste. doesn't matter what you build. If you're not building on him, it's a waste of time. Other things will come and try to be your foundation. In your life, other, other things will try and make them your Messiah. Messiah means anointed one, the, the one who comes to save. Other things will try and tell you that they can save you, they can keep you safe. Other things will try and make themselves more important than Jesus in your life. And we do build our lives on something. Like No one builds on nothing. Everyone builds on a foundation and from a foundation. So the question is, what are you building and where are you building from? Jesus is saying, you've got to build your life on me, otherwise it will be a waste. No stone will be left on top of another. Other things will try and be your foundation. But don't be deceived. Then he says, um, persist. He talks about birth pains. You see, God gives us the desires of our heart, but he doesn't give them overnight. We have to go through a process. We have to go through labour. God wants relationship with us over time. He doesn't want to give us our desires like a one-night stand. That's not, how he's, that's not how we're given our desires. You have a one-night stand, you feel great for one night, and then it's gone. God wants a relationship, wants to build a relationship with us. It is like labour. And you do have to go through the pain of labour. We've got one of Britain's strongest men here. Like, it didn't happen overnight. No. Like, when did you start training? I started training when I was 12 years old. Yeah. And how old are you now? 16, 17? <laughs> 21. 21! 33. Over a decade of hard work. Like, if Neville, Halo, if Neville came to <laughs> Phil at the end and said, Hi, I'm, I'm Neville. This is obviously fake tan. No one gets that tanned in the rain. <laughs> but by, by the way, he said, I'm Neville. I'm one of the nicest guys uh, at Redeemer King and in Chesterfield. Also, I'm interested in being um, one of Britain's strongest men as well. Like, Phil wouldn't just say, oh, good luck. I hope that happens for you, mate. Good luck. Phil would probably say, well, it might not happen now, Nev. <laughs> it might be too late for that. Because, like, God did the ship for sale. Yeah. God will give us the desires of our heart. But we have to be in relationship with him, and it's a process over time. With Jesus as your foundation, like, you can build something lasting and something amazing. Like, you can build whatever you like in your life. You can build your own kingdom. But unless it's based on the cornerstone of Jesus, the foundation stone of Jesus, it'll be for nothing. Ultimately, it will be for nothing. Eat, drink, and be merry, because we're going to die. But the word of God will never pass away. Jesus says, my words will never pass away. If you base your life, if you build from the foundation of being on Jesus and with him and being in relationship with him, there's no limit to what you can build. But you know that whatever you build, it will be firm. It'll be secure. It's not going to topple. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, I, I'm a professional comedian. Like, for the first five years of being a comedian, I was terrible. 
Like for me, it was just years and years of hammering a square peg into a round hole until eventually I thought, oh, I know how to do this now. Jesus called me into comedy and he equipped me, but he equipped me as I went. We're on a journey, we're on an adventure with Jesus. But it's not, it's not like that big national lottery hand, you know, the adverts from the 90s. It's you. <laughs> and you know what? Like the biggest change in my life, the point I'm trying to make is that we need to stand firm on the foundation. But we need to stand on, on the word of God. To stand on the word of God. We are, some of you might have thought when we did that, that Des did that testimony at the start about Alpha and the, the fire alarm going off. Well, that's a bit, that's a bit wacky. Like it is wacky. We are, a, we're a wacky church. But everything has a context. Well, what are we wacky compared to? Define normal for me. There's no such thing as normal, but as Paul has proven by the shirt he's chosen to wear today. Um, 15 years as a comedy, that's a zinger. Note that one down, chalk that one down to a zinger. It's okay to have a good time listening to the good news, by the way. I've totally forgotten what I was going to say now, thanks for that, Paul. <laughs> We're a wacky church, but wacky compared to what, like, define normal to me. When people say, like, something is wacky, they're always comparing it to their view of what normal is. Like, we're a wacky church, but if the, def if the definition of a normal church is a church where no one expects anything to happen, where no one expects Jesus to actually show up, where no one expects people to be healed, where no one expects people to be set free of addictions, if that's the definition of normal, then I don't just want to be wacky, I want to be off the charts mental. I want to be Arkham Asylum insane. Like, people, the biggest change for me was not the day I became a Christian at the age of 23, 22, 23. That wasn't the biggest change. That, it was a change. But the biggest change for me, the biggest change in my life, was when I started to take this seriously. When I started to understand that this was written for me. Romans 4, Paul says, he's talking about Abraham and how his faith was credited to him as righteousness. He says the words it was credited to him were not just written for him, but written for us. For all of us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. You need to understand, if you're following Jesus, you're in this. And if you're not following Jesus, you can be in this. Like, there's a call going out. There's an open audition and everyone who goes up for it gets the part. Welcome to the kingdom of God. You need, did I... What did, I did I speak last time about Isaiah 61 and how the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on us? No. Well, Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. Like, that's Isaiah 61. Primarily, it's about Jesus. It's, a, it's prophesying the coming of Jesus. But because it's about him, it's also now about us. Because guess what? If the spirit of the sovereign Lord is not on us, then who is it on? If we haven't been sent to proclaim good news to the poor of Chesterfield, if we haven't been sent into Chesterfield to bind up the brokenhearted, who has? No one. So believe it. Believe that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on you. Exactly. <laughs> Elliot's just been smashed by the Spirit. It's brilliant. <laughs> but it's true, though. 
It's true. And imagine if you actually did believe. I know you believe it conceptually. But imagine if you actually left this room knowing that that was true. Imagine if you left this room thinking, wow, God's spirit is in me and on me. Imagine if you put yourself into this book and read it like you were, you were a character in this story. The story's about Jesus, but he wants you to be in it as well. But you're not the main character. You can't be the star, but you can be a star. You can be a star in the greatest story ever told. This is what the gospel's about. And like, it's not about you, because as you know from looking at the sky, every star gets eclipsed by the risen sun. The sun rises and the stars go out. But you can still be a star in the greatest story ever told. And that's why we call it the gospel, you know, because it's good news. Imagine if you left this room putting yourself in the greatest story ever told. Neville could leave this room and go back to his tanning telling salon. <laughs> Galatians, Galatians 5 says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free Neville you can read that and say it's for freedom that Christ has set me Neville Taylor free Anne can read Romans 8 and convince that nothing can separate us from the love of God I am convinced that nothing can separate me and Taylor from the love of God imagine can you see the difference it's not just impassive it's not just impersonal. You're right there at the heart of the action. Dean Crampton is wearing his ridiculous green jumper again. But Galatians 4, 6 and 7. Dean, you are no longer a slave but a son. Imagine that if you actually believed it. Not that the idea that there are people who were slaves are now sons. No, we are no longer slaves but sons and daughters. It changes your life. The moment you start putting yourself in this story, it changes your life. Because you know what? You, you will believe something about yourself. No one's neutral. And you have a choice to believe what you want. You can believe what God says about you. But if you don't believe what he says about you, you will believe other things. And if you're not believing the truth, you tend to believe lies. And Jesus says, I'm the truth. But there's a guy out there who's the father of lies. Satan's the father of lies. Like, I believe in the demonic, but Satan is not the father of negative emotions. He's the father of lies. All he needs to do is tell you a lie and convince you of it. It'll steal your joy, it'll steal your identity. Satan cannot rewire the universe. Satan cannot rewire, he cannot change the fact that there is a God of unconditional love who came to find you when you felt like nothing and offered you everything. Satan cannot rewire the universe. He cannot change the fact that Jesus Christ came down in human form, took on death head to head in the greatest rap battle of all time, and won. He cannot change the fact that Jesus Christ says, you are so valuable, you are worth dying for. You are worth dying for. Whatever you believe about Jesus, he said you're worth dying for. What does that mean? It just means it's the greatest sacrifice ever. There is no greater sacrifice than laying down your life for someone. Jesus says, I want you to know, if this will prove to you how much I love you, then I'll do it. And guess what? I won't, it's not just a, a, an empty gesture. 
I'll take on death and all the minions of death, addiction, depression, anxiety, self-harm, loneliness. All of these guys work for death because they all lead to death. Jesus took them all on at the cross and won. Which means that no matter what we're going through, they don't get to win. They're real. Anxiety is real, but it doesn't get to win. If death is on the cross, but anxiety isn't, there's a plot hole in the gospel. If death is on the cross, but porn addiction isn't, there's a plot hole in the gospel. And my friends, there are no plot holes in the gospel. It's watertight. That's why you call it the gospel. It's good news. People say to me, Andy, you've become... Um, my, some, people, some of these people are Christians as well. People say to me, Andy, you've become quite extreme over the last couple of years. <laughs> I have. But extreme compared to what? We're all somebody's extremist. People, when people say you're extreme, they're, they're talking about, they're the centre of that, of that perimeter. You're on the perimeter of their normality. Normality is a curse. God hasn't asked you to be normal. God hasn't asked you to have normal strength. What would be the point of that? Hey, we've got, uh, we've got Phil here. He's one of the men in the UK. Like, he's as strong as anybody else. Boring. <laughs> Do you know, we've got... On Instagram, we've got some unbelievably talented artists. Hannah Wheeler, Emily Beach, Helena Fletcher. I, like, I was in Coffee Street, and one of the members of staff saw me like, the other day. I was like this. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. She said, are you okay? I said, no, I was absolutely fine. What happened was, like, my Instagram feed, I'd had something from Hannah Wheeler, something from Emily Beach, and something from uh, Helena Fletcher, all, like, consistently. And they were all so amazing. The art was so amazing, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't take it in. It's like, oh, my gosh. The talent. Imagine if God said, uh, can you, sorry, can you just draw like normal people, please? You draw every animal so it looks like a donkey. <laughs> Boring! Boring. No one's asked you to be normal. I am an extremist, you know, but I was already extreme. I was extremely bored at fitting my theology around my experience. I was extremely bored at middle class Christianity because it's crap. <laughs> if the dead will not be raised, I'm not interested. If people will not be set free and healed, I've got things to do. I could have played more FIFA when they won the tournament last night. <laughs> I'm not interested in middle class Christianity. I don't want to fit my theology around my experience. I want to fit my experience around my theology. This book says people will be healed. People will be saved. People will be set free. So I'm going to agree with that. I'm going to agree with what God says about me and about you. I'm going to trust that we have been sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to release the captives, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. I'm going to believe that people are worth living for and serving and dying for. I'm not going to believe the lies. I'm bored of believing the lies. I'm bored of accepting a watered-down Christianity where nothing ever happens. It's so tedious. If you want to, but you've got to stand on the word. This is the point, you've got to stand on the word. But you should, because it's brilliant. It says nice things about you. It says you're worth dying for. It says that you can be free. 
If you want to be fruit-bearing, you've got to be load-bearing as well. That's another thing. You're right, I wonder. <laughs> See, the gospel, the, gospel the, the, the word of God is, is, is load-bearing. It's what Jesus says in here. He says, stand firm. or stand firm. or stand firm on the word. Because the word can take it. The word is load-bearing. Because it's load-bearing, you can be fruit-bearing. If you stand on the word, if you root yourself in the word, then when the enemy attacks you, which he will, Jesus believes that Satan's not just the darker side of our character. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, in Luke 22, Satan has asked to sift you. In one translation it says, Satan has demanded to have you so that he can sift you. There is an enemy out there who's trying to change your mind about who you were born to be. He can't rewire the universe, but he can help you to rewire your mind so that you don't believe the truth and instead believe lies. And once you believe lies, well then he's one, isn't he? Because addiction is just that's just a rewiring of the mind, isn't it? He's the father of lies. So you've got to believe the truth, you've got to stand on the word. You've got to base your life on the cornerstone. And it's interesting, it's really interesting with Peter. Because Jesus says, Satan has asked to sift you. Which means that at some point, Jesus said to Satan, okay, have a run up with my boy. Like, whatever you believe about Jesus, you know that love is not the only power in the universe. You know that you can come under attack. You can feel attacked and oppressed and depressed. Because there's an enemy out there who hates you. Sorry, I don't wish to be overly wacky. I know I'm an extremist now. <laughs> but I'm extremely passionate about you knowing that you can experience freedom as a real thing. Not just a philosophical concept. Well, here at Redeemer King, we're extremely passionate about you knowing that love, joy, hope, peace, purpose and fullness of life are not just nice ideas. You can have them now and you can keep them forever. That's why we call it the gospel. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Not, you'll have a nice experience of the truth and that will make you feel... I feel great this morning because I've had about six coffees and I walked along the canal to get here. <laughs> And then later I'll feel tired and have a nap in front of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But like, my, feelings, my feelings don't determine the truth. Jesus is on the throne, regardless of how I feel. He says to Peter, Satan's asked to sift you. And you know what Satan did try to sift him? And he almost won, didn't he? Easter, Peter denies Jesus three times. Like, you're the guy, you're Jesus. No, I don't know him. I don't know him. He sifted him, and he nearly got him. Which is why, in 1 Peter, Peter's letter, Peter wrote two letters, 1 Peter, written by Peter, chapter 2. So, start the first letter, pretty much the first thing he says, after the greeting, he says, as you come to him, the living stone, chosen by God, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. To you who believe this stone is precious, you are a chosen people. If you root, he's basically saying, look guys, learn from my experience. You've got to build your foundation on the living, on the cornerstone. Don't reject the cornerstone as I nearly did. Because he's the only firm foundation. When you choose to put Jesus as your cornerstone, your foundation, your capstone, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
You're God's special possession. Imagine leaving here today knowing that you were God's special possession. The creator of the universe. The guy who invented laughter. The, the guy who invented sex. Thank you, Suzanne. <laughs> the creator of the universe and everything good in it. He loves you. You're his special possession. You can believe it or you can choose not to, but you will believe something else. You will build your foundation on something. And if it's not the truth of the gospel, if it's not Jesus, then ultimately it'll be for nothing. You only have two choices when it comes to freedom. You will live as though you're free, or you will live as though you're not. And if you don't know that you are free, eventually you will allow something to enslave you. If you don't know that you are free, you will allow something to enslave you. So just choose. Just choose. I'm just checking my time, because I know I've got to finish in five minutes. And I promise that I will. I promise that I will. <coughs> Let's just see. I'm not going to do Jenga now, sorry. Well, you should have given, you should have said quarter to two then. <laughs> I quit. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm ext I'm extreme. <coughs> Because I, oh, because I was extremely bored. I was extremely bored of going into coffee shops and asking for the Wi-Fi before I asked if I could pray for somebody. I was extremely bored of that. And now I'm extremely passionate about going into places and trusting that this is true and that people, people can meet Jesus on the spot. And we're going to see that. We're starting to see that. We're starting to see people healed. We're starting to see people respond to the gospel. We're giving out loads of Easter eggs. Because Rebecca had an idea and Carl said, yeah, go with it. We're telling Chesterfield that they're loved. We're going into all of Chesterfield to tell people that they're worth it. They're worth it. They're worth dying for. They're worth loving. It's so good. So, what are you going to use your gifts for? Because Romans 10 says that the, the gifts of God are irrevocable. So, like, whoever you are, whatever you believe about God, like, he's still giving you the gifts. There's some very talented people who are very horrible. You've got a choice. What are, you, what are you going to do with your gifts? Where are you going to build? A couple of weeks ago, or last week, you sponsored a, a kid from Compassion, didn't, didn't you, Bill? One of the strongest men in the country has decided he wants to use his strength to protect the weak. Where are you going to use your gifts? Emily Beach isn't going to start. Like, Emily's got, I don't know, they like photos. If she wanted to, Emily could draw rude pictures on underpasses and footbridges. And people would be like, oh, I don't like the language, but like, beautiful. <laughs> the gifts have got it irrevocable. You've got a choice what you use them for. Whose kingdom are you building? I was on a train a while ago. And um, this guy sat down next to me, like 21 years old, I said, um, like, Lord, what have you got for this guy? And I heard in my heart, his name's Martin, just telling him that I love him. And I started laughing, don't be, his name's not, he's 21, no one's called Martin. No one's called Martin, 21. I wasn't alone with God, it was alone with me, because I thought I'd probably been watching, like, Doc Martin, or like, 
something we might include. I'm not, you know, I don't blame myself. He's brilliant. But um, so I didn't say anything. Later on, he gets his card. He gets his bank card out. Obviously, it's called Martin. Good Martin. And you can't do anything at that point. You can't say, excuse me, you're named Martin. Oh, how did you know that, Darren Brown? <laughs> at that point, like, God gives us the, the, gift, of, the gift of prophecy. The words of knowledge is, is, is a gift from God. But we can use it how we want. Like, I chose not to say anything because I, because I didn't want to embarrass myself. I didn't want to get it wrong. I was too busy building my own kingdom where I am safe and secure and it's all about me looking good. The counterpoint to that story is, of course, I told you a few weeks ago when I went to South Africa. I went to South Africa after that, and uh, I'd, written, I'd written down something, and I, I said to this group of 300 people, mainly white people, if anyone's lost a child, come and speak to me. And these people came up at the end, and the fourth lady said, she was a black lady, she said, my name's Josephine, and uh, I've lost my son to drugs. Um, and I said, could I show you what I've written down? And on my pad, what I'd written down before the service was, as I was praying, a black lady named Josephine has lost a child and God will give her back a son. We have a choice to use. The, we have a choice how to use the gifts God has given us. Are you going to punch up or are you going to punch down? Are you going to build up or are you going to tear down? What are you going to use the gifts for? It's never too late to change your mind, by the way. It's never too late to start building in the right direction. It's never too late to destroy the bad foundation you've been building on so that no stone is left on top of another and start building in the right direction. When Jesus first meets Peter, he says, because he's a fisherman, he says, I'll make your fishers a men. I'll use your gifts to honour me. I'll use your gifts to serve me. Like, you're good at fishing. Come with me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Jesus denies his Lord three times. And then when Jesus is resurrected, they're all fishing. They've gone back to fishing. They've just, they've just gone back to what they thought they could do. They've gone back to use their gift. They're fishing. And they see Jesus on the shore. They go, it's the Lord! And Peter throws himself out of the boat and swims to Jesus. And Jesus says, come and have some breakfast. I've cooked you some fish. It's a reminder to Peter that the gifts have got a bit irrevocable, but it's never too late to change your mind, to turn around, to start building in the right direction again. We're extreme, but we're not religious. We're wacky, but we don't want to be normal. Some of you might think that being a Christian means being on your best behaviour. <laughs> being, being obedient. Like, it, and it's, you know... It, it, it's certainly not just having a vague belief. Like, you know, believing in God won't change your life. Believing in God won't do anything. Do you know who else believes in God? All the demons. Every single one of them. James, book of James says, you say you believe in God, even the demons believe in that. So what? <laughs> the demons have exactly the right theology. The demons know everything there is to know about Jesus. Most of them aren't following him, last time I checked. Which was never... Romans 1, Paul, Paul says, says, I'm calling the Gentiles not to faith, but to the obedience that comes through faith. So yes, being a Christian means being obedient. And it does mean being on your best behaviour. But you need to question, what are you being obedient to? 
You're not being obedient to a set of rules. Being a Christian means being obedient to the source of love, light, and life. Being obedient to light means coming out of darkness. Being obedient to life means giving up the things that are killing you. Being obedient to love means knowing that you don't have to be lonely and isolated anymore. So be obedient. Choose to be obedient. And be on your best behaviour. Because your best behaviour is to live as though you know you are free. Your best behaviour is to live as though you know you are worth dying for. That the creator of the universe took on the powers of darkness, beat them and said, Hey, these things are trying to steal your life. I'll give you fullness of life. Are you interested? Are you interested? Be obedient. You will be obedient to something. You will give your allegiance to something. And you have. So maybe change your mind now. Maybe choose to be obedient to the source of love, light, and life. Maybe choose to be on your best behaviour, which is living with freedom and hope and joy and love. Because you're worth it. It's all about stones.